Thank you, Andrew. I appreciate that very much. I don't know what it is, but every time I see that introductory video, I want to s'more. <laughs> is it just me? I don't know what it is. A few months ago, when uh, Ben sent out uh, an email to several uh, preachers in the area asking for fill-ins for this Exodus series, um, I just kind of threw my hat in the ring, and I said, well, just put me in wherever you need me, coach. So uh, a couple weeks later, I got an email back with my assigned text from uh, Exodus chapter 6 and after, ex Exodus chapter 7. And I read it through, and I said, dang, I think I drew the short straw. <laughs> Why couldn't I have gotten one of those cool parts, like the burning bush or the parting of the Red Sea or the giving of the Ten Commandments? I mean... After all, there's really nothing new in, in the, my assigned text. All this ground's been covered already. At the burning bush, God told Moses, I'm sending you back to Egypt to liberate my people. Pharaoh won't listen to you. I'll, I'll give you Aaron as your spokesperson. Uh, you're going to come out and worship me on this mountain. All of those things, God told him, and here, that's what they do. It just unfolds. Nothing unique, nothing new, nothing that kind of advances the story of Exodus. But I read my text through a couple more times, which, by the way, is always a good idea to kind of look it through several times. And it occurred to me that while there's nothing brand new in this text, there's something very, very important to the story of Exodus, the Exodus Chronicle. As, as we read it, I want to see if you can pick out that very important element to the story. We begin in uh, Exodus chapter 6 with verse 28 and then go down through Exodus 7, 12, or Exodus 7, 13 rather. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. You are to say everything I tell, you are to say everything I command you, and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. They will know that I am the Lord. When I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out. Moses and Aaron did just what the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 when they spoke to, Moses, when they spoke to Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, then say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh and it will become a snake. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. 
Aaron threw down his staff in front of Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Pharaoh then summoned wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian musicians also did the same things by their secret arts. They each threw down his staff, and it became a snake. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard, and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. Heavenly Father, I pray that as we delve into this very short passage of Scripture this morning, that you will bring out of it to our hearts what you want. Lord, you know that I've, I've, I've studied and I've prepared, but what we're looking for is your Spirit's movement this morning, that you would impress upon us what you want to impress upon us, and uh, that we walk away better disciples of yours. In Jesus' name I ask, amen. So did you catch it? Did you catch that very important element in the text? Re reading the passage casually, you might just read right over it. But that little phrase that I emphasize, know that I am the Lord, is repeated a dozen times in this Exodus Chronicle. Now, when that happens, don't you think we ought to sit up and take notice? Don't you think we ought to ask, Lord, what do you mean by that, to know that you are Lord? I think it's significant. And I submit to you, friends, that if we grasp that little phrase, that we capture the theme of the book of Exodus. But let me take it a step further than that. Since that phrase is repeated over 80 times in the Hebrew Scriptures, what we call the Old Testament... When you grasp that phrase, you grasp the meaning of the Old Testament. And I'll even take it a step further. It's said in different ways throughout the Bible, even in the New Testament. So when we grasp that idea to know that I am the Lord, we grasp God's desire for all mankind in all ages. Every person on, on this earth must learn, and indeed will learn, that God is the Lord of all. Whether in this present age or the age to come, we will all learn that lesson. Now, in, in this particular text that we read, the, the phrase is, is directed to the Egyptians as a people or a nation. In, in verses 4 and 5, uh, God said, uh, then I will... Lay my hand upon Egypt, and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. See, the Egyptians needed to learn that, that this Yahweh, this God of Israel, was God indeed. But the same is said either directly to Pharaoh or about Pharaoh. For instance, in the first plague here, in... Uh, um, in, in verse 17, where God has directed Moses and Aaron now to stand before, a, before Pharaoh and demand his people to be let go. He, he makes this term, he makes this statement directly to Pharaoh. This is what the Lord says, by this you, Pharaoh, will know that I am the Lord. See, Pharaoh needed to learn that. And he did learn it in the end. 
But even the Israelites, whom God was in the process of delivering at this particular moment, they still needed to learn it. From, uh, from Shan's passage last week over in, in chapter 6, uh, verse 7, as, uh, as Moses is directed to approach the Israelite people and get them on board with this liberation idea. God says, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God and then you will know that I am the Lord. See, Israel needed to learn that. They hadn't gotten it yet and it was a very slow process throughout the book of Exodus to where they learned, yes, I, I do believe God is Lord. But the truth is, even Moses himself was still in the process of learning it. Early on, arguing with God, he was was beginning to get it, but he was very slow in learning it. To know that I am the Lord. My ultimate goal this morning is not to leave this crucial realization to ancient history or just something theoretically Uh, theoretical that we ought to know. Rather, I want us to understand in our heart what it means that God and Jesus is the Lord of our lives and what that means to live it out on a daily basis. You know, really, when you think about it, this book of Exodus is, is a primer on who God is and what he desires of his creation. Exodus represents the greatest progression of God revealing himself to mankind since the beginning of creation. He advances from being a very shadowy God to being a very specific God with very, very specific rules. For instance, over in chapter 6, where where God is um, uh, revealing himself to Moses... And, you know, Moses asked at the burning bush, who am I going to say sent me? He said, the great I am. Over over in chapter 6, he says it again. I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself fully known to them. See, here he does. Here he uses that name, that covenant name, Yahweh that has come across in in our language as Jehovah. Now, this nebulous God has a name. And if you follow this throughout Exodus, you see that this God has specific rules of right or wrong. He has directives as as to how he can be worshipped, what animals are acceptable to atone for sin. See, God reveals himself here, and Exodus represents the greatest advance in that, really, till Jesus And Jesus says, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, it's a progressive revelation of God throughout history. And Exodus takes a big step in that. So, knowing that God is the Lord, what does that mean? I believe it means at least three things, probably a lot more. But I believe that it means at least acknowledging God, submitting to him, and worshiping him. And I want to look at each one of those in a little bit of detail this morning. First of all, acknowledgement. This passage that we read, you know, is not the first encounter between Moses and Pharaoh in Egypt. That initial confrontation, you know, didn't go too well. Moses stood before Pharaoh and said, 
God says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, they're lazy. That's what they are. I'll make them work harder. So he takes away the straw and he says, now you go out and glean your own straw, but make the same amount of bricks. But Moses, or Pharaoh's response to uh, Moses' demand, I think is very telling about his acknowledgement or lack of it to God. He says over in chapter um, 5, verse 2, at that bricks without straw incident, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. I do not know Yahweh. That's a true statement, isn't it? The fact is that Pharaoh and Egypt acknowledged a myriad of gods, the Nile, the sun, eagles, crocodiles, cattle, snakes, even Pharaoh himself as deities. But they did not acknowledge the one true God who gave them life and sustained their life on a daily basis. And what's more, when Yahweh introduced himself to Egypt via the Hebrew presence, they chose not to acknowledge him still and refused to submit to him. I hope you understand that that God took no pleasure in bringing Pharaoh to his knees and ruining the land of Egypt. He did not love doing that. But the truth is, that is what it would take to get them to even acknowledge that he exists, that he is God, that he is the great I am. You might not see it on the surface, but and I don't want to steal the, the, the thunder from the plagues, the message on the plagues that are coming up next week. But, but each one of the plagues that God visited upon Egypt was carefully engineered to demonstrate Yahweh's supremacy over any of their supposed deities. Turning the, the waters into blood, well, that's, a, that's a, a hit against the Nile God. Darkness for three days? That says God is in charge even of the sun God. And the death of the firstborn, God was saying, Pharaoh, you take as God, I'm God over him. I was reminded during the second service as we sang the, uh, one of the hymns, one of the songs, one of the statements that we sang and that I believe we, we hold in our hearts, there is no one higher than you. Can you say amen to that? I believe that's what God was trying to get across here. And that's the record of, of Exodus. That's the demonstration through all these things in Exodus. Yet in spite of the record of Exodus, there are a lot of people today, probably the majority of the earth kind, of mankind, who are scoffers. God of the Bible? I don't know him. Jesus? I don't, I don't hold him as being divine. They refuse to even acknowledge him. To me, one of the most haunting statements that our Lord Jesus made comes out of uh, Matthew chapter 10, verses 32 and 33. Jesus made this statement. It's always kind of just stuck right in my ribs. Whoever acknowledges me before people, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before people, I will disown before my Father in heaven. I think what Jesus is picturing there is the judgment seat. 
And each person stands before the Lord. Should they be allowed into God's kingdom? And Jesus will be at his right hand and he will say, this one acknowledged me, Father. This one acknowledged me. This one disowned me. Whoever acknowledges me before man, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before man, I will disown before my Father. I believe that's why in the Christian church tradition, we hold that one of the steps of salvation, along with uh, repentance and baptism and, and living a life for the Lord, is verbal acknowledgement. We usually use that phrase from Matthew 16, 16 that the Apostle Peter uttered when Jesus said, Who do people say that I am? It boiled down to this. I believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and my Lord and Savior. See, that's verbal acknowledgement, and that's important to God. Well, the next logical step beyond acknowledgement is submission or obedience to God. Let's go back to Pharaoh's reply in Exodus 5. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Well, at least he's consistent. If he doesn't acknowledge God, who's to think that he's going to obey a God that he does not acknowledge? Of course not. Now, Now, he will. He will submit to God, but I want to save that for a little bit later. But here's an oddity. Even some people who acknowledge God have a very difficult time submitting to him. Throughout the the book of Exodus, and indeed, indeed throughout the entire Old Testament scriptures, God often refers to Israel by the term stiff neck. Now, what's he saying by that? Is he saying they all need a chiropractor? No, that's not what he's after. It's 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 a great word picture. Picture it. Stiff necked. Defiant. I'm gonna do what I want to do. As opposed to, you are God, bowed neck, and I am your servant. Submission. Israel had that tendency to be stiff-necked. Submission is painfully and slowly learned. I think we see that in, in Moses himself. In the early part of Exodus, you know, at the burning bush, and even in this passage here, Moses is always arguing with God. Send somebody else. I'm not a good speaker. They're not going to listen to me. And that's what he says in verse 30 here. Since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? Now contrast that with verse 6 that we read and verse 10. Moses and Aaron did just what the Lord commanded them. Verse 10. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just what the Lord commanded. He's beginning to get it, isn't he? He's beginning to soften that neck. And, and I think if you read Exodus now from here on out, Moses doesn't argue with God anymore. He's beginning to get it, that God is God and I am not, and submission and obedience is the only way to go. We have to learn that too, friends. An integral part of being a follower of Jesus Christ is to remember that he's in charge. Didn't Jesus 
Teach us to pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. See, that's the acknowledgement part. But the next phrase, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that's the submission part. And we all have to learn it somewhere along the way. And we all have to keep learning it on a daily basis. It's not something that we learn all at once and then we're done. No, it's something that we learn on a daily basis. So, so the final logical step, the ultimate goal of knowing that I am the Lord, is that people worship the Lord as the Lord. Don't miss the stated reason for all of this to do in the book of Exodus. Was it just a matter of social justice that God liberated the Israelites? Was it just the right thing to do? Was it just because he had a sympathy for an enslaved people? None of those things. At the burning bush, God specifically told Moses, when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you, that, that's a plural there, you meaning Moses and the people, you will worship me on this mountain. Now, God could have pointed out, bring them out here and I'll give them my commandments. Bring them out here and I'll establish the priesthood, which is the, 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 the go-between between me and you. Bring them out here and I will show them how to sacrifice to me. All of those things happened at Mount Sinai, but worship was at the center. When you have brought the Israelites out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. At the heart of it. God's exodus mission was to liberate these chosen people from the idolatry and immorality of Egypt so that they could worship him as he desires. And as Jesus would later qualify in the Gospel of John, in spirit and in truth. Worship is, is paramount to God. I don't, I don't think we appreciate that enough. It is why God created beings, both heavenly beings that we don't see as well as earthly beings that we do see. God created us to acknowledge and submit and to worship him. If you don't think that's so, why would God give all these specifics that are later on in the book of Exodus about the tabernacle and the washings and the altars and the lamps and incense and anointing oil and the priesthood and the acceptable animals. Why all that minutia if worship were not important? It is important. And you can turn to the book of Revelation and peruse the various scenes of, of, of heaven there. And what do you see? You see elders surrounding the throne, taking off their crowns, laying them down before God and worshiping him. You see all kinds of strange living creatures bowing down and saying, salvation belongs to our God. You see uh, people in white robes bowing down with their face to the ground, worshiping the Lord. The slain there pouring out their their statement, salvation belongs to our God. Night and day, night and day. See, that constantly happens at our Father's house in heaven. It's what he desires to happen here on this earth from all of us, both private and public. 
Follow the progression with me now and see if you don't think this makes sense. The first requirement in knowing that God is Lord is simply to acknowledge that He is, that He exists. And since He does exist and therefore is the originator of us and of everything else, then we owe Him our submission, our obedience. And that issues forth in adoration, in worship. It occurs to me that Pharaoh and Egypt did eventually acknowledge and submit to Yahweh. They achieved the first two requirements of knowing that God is God, but what choice did they have? I mean, after all, he broke them. He brought them to their knees. He devastated their land. They had to acknowledge him. They had to submit to him. But I don't believe Egypt or Pharaoh ever came to that third requirement of worshiping God. They may have, but it's not stated in the text. God doesn't need anything from us, folks. He's, he's autonomous. He, he's fine just as he is. God Almighty demands our acknowledgement, and he will get it. He demands our submission, and he will get it. Paul, in Romans chapter 14, quotes Isaiah 45. As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, and every tongue will acknowledge God. That's going to happen. But see, God desires our worship because only that element is a voluntary element. You see? Worship is the bowing of the head. It's the bending of the knee, showing from the heart, I acknowledge, I know you are God. I know you are Yahweh. It also occurs to me that if Pharaoh and Egypt have had difficulty with the worship part, we here today probably will have more problem with the submission part. After all, we're here to worship him in this gathering, right? That, that implies we acknowledge him. But submitting, bending our will to his will, that's hard. That's difficult. That's a daily, if not an hourly, struggle to submit to him. Am I, am I the only one in here that experiences that tension in my life? I'm still working on it. The Apostle Peter preached in his Pentecost sermon as he was wrapping up that great message about Jesus. He said, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, very sensitive about people's feelings, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. See, God wants both. We are eager to run to him as our Messiah, are we not? Save me, Lord. Forgive my sins. Take, take them away so that I can go home to be with you. We are less eager to make him Lord and bend our neck and bow, bend our knee and bow our, our head to him. I believe part of the reason that each Lord's Day when we come together, we receive the Lord's Supper and that helps us in that respect. If you'll take up with your, your elements right now, here's what I'm saying. 
I, I believe that the Lord's Supper was intended every week, of course, to snap us back to the cross and remind us Jesus died for us. We belong to him. But I believe it's also a reminder, at least on a weekly basis, that brings us back to the reminder that he's in charge. He's very free with us, is he not? He gives us a lot of freedom. Let's us do what we want. But what he wants is for us to want what he wants. And that's submission. Let this be a reminder this morning as we take it that while we have acknowledged him as Savior, we will also acknowledge him as the Lord of our lives. Heavenly Father, in the quietness of this moment, we acknowledge that Jesus is our, our Savior. Thank you for him leaving the comfort of heaven, coming down to this earth and being one of us and giving himself freely for us. Forgive us, Father, when we're reluctant and stiff-necked and unwilling to take that step of, of obedience, of submission. We acknowledge our difficulty in that, Lord. Forgive us and enable us to uh, be reminded that we're saved to serve, that we belong to you and whatever you want is what we want. Help us, Lord, to leave this place with that in our hearts this morning. I pray in Jesus' name.